It's Mr. Harlan Ellison. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm coming to you tonight live from the underground Glitter Palace high atop the Moshe Dalak uh, Hotel here in Upper Los Angeles, bringing you the music of Ramon Rivera and his Snappy Dappy Teeny Bopper Orchestra featuring Ursula Le Guin on lute. Tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily. It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. That is the message. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Five by Saturday night. From the back of the Martians Only Changing Room and Gelato Parlor, deep in the sub-basement of Area 51, welcome to TalkCast 358, this edition of Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Feeling rather soapy, I'm your host, The Dome. Joining the TalkCast tonight, the rest of the gang, in the Peabody Time Tunnel, our technical radical, our own button-pushing, keyboard-clacking, sonic screwdriver-ing, violently virtuoso. Tonight... Threatening to play games like that. She doesn't do that all the time. It's Kriana. Hmm. She's thrilled. That You should see her when she's unimpressed. From the stacks of her quiet place in the Dank Dungeons Manuscript Conservancy, with her advanced degree from the California Cyborg College of Advanced Academia at Bismo Beach, and her getting her newest degree in Turing Linguistics and Limericks, it's Zombrarian. I forgot to unmute. <laughs> you know, it, it's, yeah, okay. The man who invented the phrase, the smirking chimp, but not for what you think, you know you're in the presence of greatness because he's here, our very own futuristic gamer, the guy who likes really shiny stuff, Awake by Java. Uh, uh, updates. Okay. Why? Why? It was fine. It's fine. Goodness gracious. What updated? No Man's Sky. I'm back to playing it because <laughs> they did they did an alternate reality game and I did that and then I was like, oh, I guess I better start playing the game now that it updated and so I've been playing it. Now I'm frustrated because there's an update. Ugh. There's an update to the update? Yeah, they've done three updates since they put out the new patch, uh, the new uh, 1.3 version, which has uh, improves the game by giving it a story. As opposed to the lack of story that it had prior to this? Yeah, exactly. Ah! So. Well, I, I wish you well with the game that finally has it, its story, but not enough updates to be complete yet. And <laughs> hope that there are many, many more. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Joining us on the TalkCast tonight is a gentleman who I had uh, the good fortune to meet about a year, year and a half ago. And uh, since then, we've done some panels at different conventions and talked about uh, the things that he does and the things that I do. thought it would be interesting to have him on the show from 
Last Word Audio, Colby Elliott. Colby, welcome to Sci-Fi Saturday Night. Thanks, Dylan. Thanks a lot for having me tonight. Excited to be yeah. here. Hey, it, it's, it's been fun working with you on a bunch of different things over the past couple of months and uh, doing some uh, convention panels with you to talk about different types of podcasts and, and how they came to be and what they do and why they do it. You yeah. come to uh, sci-fi from a very different perspective than 99% of the other people who do because you are the owner of uh, a company called Last Word Audio. That is correct, yes. And what is Last Word Audio? Well, Last Word Audio is... Uh, my my chance to kind of contribute to the pop culture discussion. So I have these things that I I absolutely adore, and it it has to do with the geekosphere and the nerdablog sphere, those kinds of things. And if it has to do with comic books and role playing games and computer gaming and science fiction and fantasy, these are things that I love. I've I've been doing, I've been interested in those kinds of things since you know probably. I would say that the point where it all congealed would be age seven, I would say. But, uh, you know, I started reading with comic books and that kind of thing. So I've been uh, a geek and a nerd from, from way back. And I decided that what I wanted to do is to take that love and to elevate that conversation a little bit by making audiobooks about those kinds of things that I really enjoy. So last word audio then is essentially finding really good books that you want to turn into audiobooks. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I contact the different, um, sometimes I contact the authors directly and sometimes I'll talk with uh, their agents or, or with the publishing companies. But uh, what I usually do is I find a piece that is, is in the middle of the field of interest that, that I, I enjoy and something I'm really passionate about. And then I try to make sure that I seek that author out specifically and talk to them personally um, in order to, to get them on board with this idea. And a lot of time it's, um, it's something that is in a backlist title, something that's already been out. And when I originally named the company Last Word Audio, it was because at that point, usually the book had already been published. And so the audio became the last word on the subject. And that was actually the reason why it was called Last Word Audio. Gotcha. So uh, what was your background prior to this? How did you get from wherever you used to be to here? Yeah, I mean, you used to be a school teacher. I did, yeah. Uh, for about 12 years, I um, taught uh, either high school or middle school theater. Um, but before that, when I was, when I was younger, I had the, the Star-Lord Walkman. That, that we've all seen yep. <laughs> with the foam headphones. And I would, there was a spinner in my local library and I would get all of these great bags of, of, of audiobooks. And I listened to Edgar Allan Poe as read by Basil Rathbone and uh, also Vincent Price. And I would listen to those on the way to school when I was walking on the way to school and just kind of freaking myself out, like listen to these. And it was just fantastic. And then uh, in college, I would commute back and forth from university on the weekends, and I would listen to abridged versions of audiobooks, different mystery stories and, and stuff like that that I wanted to get caught up on. I would listen to those to and from the university. And then I moved after university, I moved out to Denver and 
still had the Walkman and would listen to like Stephen King uh, novels and short stories while I was running um, at night. And we had a, a really great trail that went right through the middle of Fremont Cemetery. And I would run listening to Stephen King at night through the cemetery. And man, I tell you, there's nothing more inspiring. I was going to say, that sounds vaguely dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> it would definitely freak you out for sure. So at what point did you make the decision that you could do audiobooks? Yeah, I, I was doing a lot of the technical aspects of theater. And when I was doing the technical aspects of theater, I, I had these CDs that had sound effects on them. But the sound effects were never quite the ones that I needed. So I, I would need a, a town square bell chiming. And the only thing I had was Big Ben, which, of course, sounded horrible. Sounds and like Big Ben, yeah. It sounds just like Big Ben. Yeah, Why so, does that town square have Big Ben in the middle of it? I don't exactly. So I started working with digital audio workstations and the CD sound effects CDs that I had. And I would change them. I would drop the bass out of them. or And then I would speed them up a little bit. I would change them just enough so that I could use them for like my middle school theater productions. And with that, I began to get comfortable enough with these, these DAWs, these digital audio workstations, that I could record things that were going on on stage, choir concerts and band concerts. And at some point, I just said to myself, okay, I, I have enough performance technique from being trained as an actor. I have enough technical expertise because of my time as a technical director. I think I can I can take these things, put them together into a, a Reese's peanut butter cup of goodness and call it an audiobook. So and that was how it happened. And that was how it happened. And I, I found a book that I was really passionate about. It was called Masters of Deception, The Gang That Ruled Cyberspace. And it was about these hackers in the late 80s, early 90s, who were just a little bit younger than me, but used a lot of the same computers that I used. And they hacked the Bell Telephone System in New York. And I, I loved their story. I just thought it was the most fascinating thing in the world. I read the book like two or three times. And I decided that's it. That's the first one. So I set up a little recording space in my house and I did the first chapter and I sent it to the authors, Michelle Slatala and Joshua Quitner, and they loved it. They said, yeah, yeah, this is, this is cool. Let's go ahead and do this. And then one of them having one title out for people to see then gave me enough success that I was able to go to the next author, which was Bill Fitzhugh. And I talked to him and I said, here's this, here's this thing that I did. It was pretty successful, had a great experience. Do you want to, do you want to? And he said, sure. And we just kept doing that same thing where I've done three books with him. Now I've done two with Michelle Satala and developing these relationships and the success just adds on to itself. And, and you begin to get a working reputation. And before you know it, you've got a lot of audiobooks to do. So, there's actually three things going on here all at the same time. One is finding the book that you want to do and making the connections to do it. Then there's doing the book. And yes. then there's once it's done, then what? Well, what happened was the first book Wait, that I did. Not on flash drives or what? <laughs> 
Well, there's a lot of different ways that you've seen people do them. I know um, like Cory Doctorow, he is someone who, of course, doesn't believe in DRM, as you guys know. He used to do MP3 discs and then sell them on eBay. And then uh, he also did um, a, a Deliver It Now as just an, uh, a large MP3 file that you could download. Um, but for me, what I did is I took the finished audiobook and sent it to Audible and said, what do you think? And they got back to me and said, yeah, we'll take it. And they did an independent deal with me that I could then publish what I wanted to. So how, what's the mechanism that you use to publish the audiobooks? To- uh, what I do is I'll, I'll create the entire okay. audio. Out, out to the world. Yes, um, I, I basically record the entire audiobook um, in MP3 format. Um, then I upload it to Audible. They put it through their, their checks to make sure it reaches the appropriate levels and, and has the correct noise floors and those kinds of things. Then they put it up on their site, and it's then also distributed through iTunes as well as uh, Amazon Digital Download. Cool. That's a neat system to get things done. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's kind of simple, too. I mean, the, the nice part about it is um, that they're very flexible in terms of the things that, they'll, that they, they will let me do. I've been able to contact anyone that I want and do whichever book that I'd like. And uh, they're very happy with what comes in. It's been uh, it's been good. It's even gotten to the point where now it's garnering a little bit of attention from from uh, the audiophile magazine, uh, which is the the publication of the audiobook industry. Uh, managed to get a an, um, what's called a, an earphones award from them, and then uh, just this last year, I was uh, nominated for my first audio award, which is like the Oscars for the audiobook industry. So what kind, what have you noticed since you've been doing this about how consumers like react and get, get their audiobooks? Because, um, that has to be a, a rapidly changing space. It really is. Um, you know, the thing that I think made it so much easier was when everyone had all of their audio libraries on their phone. And you could basically, you had it either in your earbuds when you were at the gym or, or, you know, going for a walk, walking the dog or doing, you know, chores around the house, or you had it, you know, going through your aux cable or your Bluetooth in your car while you were driving, all of a sudden it's just right there. And then the, the most interesting thing that's been happening in the audiobook world is how many people are accessing their audi- audible audiobooks through the Amazon Echo. And also, um, uh, I think in the future, they're talking about doing it through the Google Home, but for right now, um, Amazon uh, Alexa is a way that a lot of people are listening to their audiobooks, which I wouldn't have thought would have been a really great way to do it, but I guess a lot of people like it. Yeah. So what kinds of, of stories and, and books do you kind of gravitate gravitate to? Um, and how do you how do you make a choice for what you're going to pursue as one of your audiobooks as opposed to ones that you wouldn't? 
Absolutely. Um, well, what I'm I'm really trying to do, especially with this this larger series that I was doing, is I'm trying to elevate the geek conversation because you know we all start out with questions like you know who would win in a fight you know the Hulk or Superman, and at first it's just emotional. It's who you like better. And when you're younger, it's almost like a religion thing. You know, there's the DC kids and then there's the Marvel kids. And by the time you hit, you know, a staid adulthood, um, you realize that, you know, Stan Lee's realism comment when he says, well, whoever wins is whoever the writer says wins. <laughs> Which, you know, yeah, of course I understand that. But in between those two points, there are all these amazing debates and discussions to be had, you know, drawing from specific knowledge of the comics and anecdotal and historical evidence. And it takes this creative art and makes it absolutely, you know, immersive. And so that's kind of what I've been trying to do, especially with some of the, the smart pop books that I did. I did a book that was on The Walking Dead. I did two on Joss Whedon's Firefly, one on Buffy. Um, I've done a book called Batman Unauthorized, talking about the Dark Knight. And then uh, one that was just on the history of Wonder Woman. And I just want to take, you know, these things that are really cool and meaningful and, and kind of elevate them to a higher discussion level. So yeah, talk so a little what, bit. Oh, go ahead, Joe. Go ahead, though. I was well, just going to ask, like, what, what were some of the things that you found most interesting, that you found most interesting as you've gone through this process of, of doing your larger um, selection? Uh, you know that there are a lot of authors, it, you begin to find out, you go in it for the love of the literature, but you begin to find out that it really is so much of a business. And that's the thing that becomes a little bit more of a, a shock to the system in that you start to think, well, gosh, only, you know, 90% of the books that come out don't actually have an audiobook. So there should be tons of books out there that are available to do. And you would think that would be absolutely correct. But then you begin to realize that a lot of first-time authors, when they, when they get the idea, hey, I got a book deal, they sign on the dotted line and they say, oh, yes, yes, this is fantastic. And they sign on the dotted line on the boilerplate contract and they sign away their rights to do audio and they don't own them anymore. And that was an interesting revelation in that I could talk to the author but the author couldn't tell me that it was okay to do the book. I actually had to go through a different entity to try and figure out how to accomplish this goal. And a lot of interesting problem solving and stuff really came into it too, which was kind of cool. But I'm not sure if that's exactly what you're asking on the business side of things. You're thinking more on the, on the aesthetic side of things? Yeah, yeah. Like, so, so what were some of your favorite um, things that, that would draw a person to read these particular or listen to these particular audiobooks? Well, like, for example, when I did uh, Batman Unauthorized, there was this amazing chapter that talked all about the Batman comics of the 1970s. And that's when Ra's al Ghul became an actual thing in response to these elements that were happening in the world, an actual villain. Uh, I found it to be really fascinating because I had no idea about it. Um, so I think for me, those elements where I come across someone who has done such a deep dive on this thing that I had a casual interest in, it, it just kind of, it gives you a chance to sort of blow your mind just a little bit, which is, is really exciting. You know, I, I didn't know when I first started looking at the, the Wonder Woman book that, you know, um, 
William Moulton Marston actually was one of the inventors, inventors of the lie detector test. And that there's a little bit of sort of intellectual crossover between, you know, the lasso of truth and, and uh, the lie detector. So those kinds of things were, were always interesting to have that one element that you, that you then were able to take away and go, <laughs> it sounds so after school special or so it's like, and you know, I learned something today. And that thing was that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I absolutely love that moment. Just to have that moment just kind of quietly in the studio where I go, huh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> so in 2017, uh, you had a particularly good year when you were uh, part of the Audio Publishers Association Audi finalist. Yes. For your book. Coffee at Luke's. I just had it. Coffee at Luke's. As part of the short story collections category there. So talk a little bit about that. What was that like? Oh, it was fantastic. I mean, first of all, it completely tied in with my life, which was amazing. My wife got this wonderful opportunity to come out and work in New England. We moved from Colorado about two years ago. And that is, and that's when I, I got the, uh, I, I talked to Ben Bella books and was able to, to get the gig of doing coffee at Luke's. So we moved here and we moved to the town. Uh, we moved to our, our, our new hometown, which is, is Groton. It's about 10,000 people, which is the same size as stars hollow. If you're familiar with the, the show Gilmore girls. And so it felt as though we were moving to stars hollow and I was able to do this book that I had been a fan of Gilmore Girls. I watched it every week when it came out. I had seen every <laughs> single episode when it came out. I was a huge fan. And then it came on Netflix and I watched it again and again. And it turns out my daughters um, loved it just as much. And they would watch it again. And we were so incredibly excited when they were going to do the, the reunion show. Um, and... So to have that happen at the same time when we were moving to New England and to basically, you know, live that moment in this new place like Stars Hollow and to sort of have it come together. I think it was the perfect combination of life and art that just was was amazing. And and, you know, we're still Gilmore Girl fans. You know, today we are going to uh, uh, let's see, in October, we'll be going to Gilmore Girls Fan Fest in Connecticut. It's going to be. Of course you will. <laughs> Yeah, I just I, I just can't stop geeking out about things. I just I, I get I get really excited about it. I'm sure you can tell. <laughs> and you also uh, Last Word Audio also got an exceptional audio award from uh, Audiophile. Yes, yeah, for our work we did on uh, a, a book called Fender Benders, which is the the third book that I did from Bill Fitzhugh, and it's kind of like he he writes a bit like Carl Hyacin in that he has a humorous element to them and the characters are incredibly well developed and, and nuanced and they interact in such interesting ways it just gives as a, as a as a voice actor it gives you this opportunity to develop this entire stable of characters that are so incredibly different from one another and then he puts them in these situations that are at one point very touching and interesting but also very very funny and Again, that was another sort of perfect storm that came together. And now um, it, it did win the uh, Audiophile Audio Excellence Award. And 
just a couple of uh, weeks ago it was submitted for consideration for the 2018 Audi Awards. So we'll see what happens there. Very cool. Yeah. So I, it, it sounds like, you know, the little idea that you had when you were teaching middle school theater has just kind of blossomed into this very, very cool little homegrown business of yours that has just taken off all on its own. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really fun. I the One of the most interesting elements is because a lot of what I do is is very specific to geek lit and nerd lit. I try to go to as many of the cons as possible, which um, is where you and I met. Yeah. Yes, exactly, exactly. And you know the the panels that we put together are are just fascinating ways to to sort of share that love and the ideas out there because you know as someone who's an artistic creator, you you want other people to be artistic creators too, and I just want it to to kind of go out there and, and take over the world and have everybody, you know, making amazing stuff. And so going to the cons and, and seeing the people who really are, are big fans of this work is, is just, it's fun. It's a, it's a rush. And a lot of times I'll get to be a panelist with other people like, like yourself and with our friend, Kevin Harrington. And other times I've done uh, single uh, solo presentations about uh, audiobook creation for geeks, which I hope will will plant some seeds out there and have other people becoming audiobook narrators too. So what does it take for you to say, this is a book I want to do? Do you have to like it? Does it have to be a certain, set up a certain way? What does it take for you? It's It's a combination of things. The first thing, it has to be a book that I can feel myself spending at least a month with because not only do I listen to it, you know, I I'm taking notes on it as I begin reading it and I can begin to hear those characters in my mind, or if it's a nonfiction book, begin to see the thesis that the author is bringing to the work. And and it begins to, to, to feel exciting, like something that I really need to go out and share. And that's, that's the first step. And then the next step, if, when I go to record it, if I if it it needs to feel, I'm looking for attribution with the with the characters, but not too much attribution. What do you uh, mean by that? Um, the he said she says that are in an author's work. Sometimes they're done really well for audio, and sometimes they're done really poorly. For example, I was I was listening to John Scalzi when he was. Thank you. I was just about to mention. Let me see if I got this right here. The Will Beaton narrations. Yes, yes. And he, it's he it's so grating as much yes. as I love his voice. Yes. He said, and then she said, yes. oh, God, yes, thank you. Yes, and it, it breaks the flow. And that is exactly what he said. When he first got Will Wheaton to start to do his, his work, he was so thrilled because he knew he and Will are friends. Right. And... But then he went back and listened to some of the early stuff, and he noticed that there was too much attribution. And it wasn't necessary at all because of the way that the actor is, is changing a tempo or the placement of the voice. You could tell which character was speaking anyway. And every time he said, he said, or she said, if you notice, the actor drops the pitch. And he says, yes, absolutely. And it, and it completely breaks that, that flow 
of of the voice. So yeah, that's one of the things that you look for is that attribution where it's just enough, but not too much. But at the same time, you don't want to be doing double takes of of different lines because you can't figure out which character is talking in a particular scene because that, that can be really awkward, obviously. Um, and then another thing that I look for is I usually consider a, a book that I'm doing to be symphonic in that I want things to sort of to start off at a, a very kind of a, maybe a Largo kind of tempo. I don't know how familiar you are with, with music terms, but I started off my training. I began as an opera singer. And so for me, I look at these things musically and I, I have it start off and then it begins to build and then fight scenes might feel kind of a bit like, like presto, you know, that the, the presto uh, tempo. And then you come back to uh, the majority of the book is going to feel andante or kind of a walking tempo and to be able to conduct it in that way, to have the, the attribution where it's just enough not too much, not too little. And then also at the same time, I want characters that I can draw a lot from that have quite a, a bit of backstory so that I have a place that I can put these characters in my mind, um, especially if you have characters that are very similar in ages and, and, uh, and backgrounds and where they're from. You want something that's going to pull them apart in the, in the mind of the audience so that they're not confused. It's interesting from my point of view uh, having listened to a couple of your books, mm -hmm. where you get the voice attribute from? What makes you decide how this character is going to sound, or how these two characters are going to sound talking to each other? Yeah, it's um, it's it's a it's kind of a complex decision. Sometimes it's a manipulation issue, like you begin to to move, like you move your 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 lips together like this. And you start to sound a little odd and something like that. You'll, you'll manipulate the instrument in such a way. And other times it can be with an accent. Like you might find that an accent is something that, you know, if you know that this particular character is from uh, somewhere on the other side of the pond, that might be somewhere that you wish to put it. Or you might bring them all the way back down to, you know, in just uh, an area where they're not necessarily inside something that's an urban center, if you know what I'm saying. And so you have all of those different tools that you can play with. Um, and sometimes you might even take something that's a horrible celebrity impersonation and just put it on there because it's so bad that it doesn't sound like that celebrity. But in your mind, it locks it in place as to what that character's voice sounds like. So here's the other intangible that I have with an audiobook or a guy like you, who's taking the raw material, the book itself, and making the audiobook from it, in that you're trying to paint a picture, but you have one hand tied behind your back, because the only things that you can use are, in fact, those written words. <laughs> but I have an unlimited special effects budget. Your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I I don't know about you, but for me, the the old time radio, like The Shadow, I yep. I love The Shadow, and so many different um, audio dramas. And to see it right now is starting to make a renaissance. Like on Audible, they're doing uh, new episodes of the X Files and episodes of the the Alien series. I, I love that aspect, that theater of the mind, 
The only thing is, is that I am so greedy that I just want to play all the characters. <laughs> so for me, it's like, well, I mean, I'm sure someone could play that character, but I want to play that character. It's kind of like, I think I had the same sort of situation when I was in high school. I'd be playing Dungeons and Dragons with my friends and, you know, they do, one of their characters would do something and I would just go, ah. and you know, I could have done that so much better. I've got, <laughs> you know, and how, it's, how, it, yeah. How difficult is it over a long form novel <clears throat> not to have the voices change? Mm, it's, it's grueling. It is um, because you're usually in the studio at minimum for an hour at a time. And you have to keep that energy level really high the entire time. What I tend to find is that after about an hour, I start making um, text mistakes where then it's it becomes not worth doing because I'm making so many mistakes, I'm gonna have to go back and re-record those particular sections. So, but yeah, it's very grueling. You're you're into the moment and excited and pumped up for an hour. And then I step out of the studio, I'll go upstairs, take a drink of water, um, you know, walk around a little bit, get the blood flowing a little bit, and uh, then look for the next chapter, come down, do it again. And usually you, you might do that. You probably don't want to do that more than three or four hours in a day, just from my standpoint, because my voice begins to feel ragged at that point. You know, you just continuously talking for that amount of time is it's it's tough it's tough even if Do you have to remind yourself of how the characters sound um you can you can either do it on paper which i've done before in the form of like what's called a character bible and i will place it i'll say okay this character his name is mike Mike is a tenor one, so he's a high tenor, got kind of a bit of a fluty voice, and I'll write in these descriptors. I typically place him more towards the front edge of the mouth, so when he's talking, he has a brighter sound. And then I'll say, okay, and his friend Mark, Mark is a baritone, and his baritone is a little bit back in the throat. He sounds kind of like he's swallowing his words, and I'll write that in there as well. So you can do that in a text format, or what you can do is take a sample line of dialogue and create a touchstone file within the digital audio workstation. You're sitting in, in, the, uh, in your recording space and you just record a particular part of it in that character's voice. It's the thing that clicks you in, that, that makes the character take off for you, their, their signature line or so. Now, in the same way that people ask me, how do you get all these people together in a big studio to do your podcast every week? And then when I'm done laughing, I explain it. Uh, <laughs> Ten years ago, or actually probably as, as little as five years ago, you would go to a recording studio, sit in a booth with a guy behind the glass wall running the equipment as you sat there flipping the pages of a book. Yep. Now... It's literally find a quiet space to set up your computer. Yes, that's true. And that comes with some, it comes with a downside, to be honest, because what you end up having is the actor also is self-directing. Um, and there's a couple of different ways to handle that. But the way that I tend to do it is, and that's part of the reason why it takes me a little bit longer to make the books that I make, is if I'm doing especially character-driven work, I approach it in a film type of, in a, 
as you want, as one would approach a film in that I'll do several takes on a particular line of dialogue. And then when I'm editing it together, I will direct the scene through the edit so that that way I can take, okay, I like the way this particular phrase rolls off this end and I'll bring it together with this and it creates the performance that I want. Now that happens sometimes for sure. Other times you might have people who they just do it one particular way, they call it good, and then that's the way they roll with the audio. And that is a, a viable way of doing it. I know there are a lot of narrators that do it that way. But for me, I, I like to be able to separate my my actor's hat from my narrator's hat. And uh, sorry, my actor's hat from my director's hat. And then that that's going to be different too from the audio product the audio producer's hat that I have where I'm applying filters and doing that kinds of things, trying to give it a certain sound. But isn't it also good to have that guy in the booth to bounce ideas off of or to get immediate feedback from? Is uh, that helpful at all? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do go and record with, with some of the larger studios, like recorded books in New York, you go in there and they actually have that setup that you're talking about right there. And that's the way they do their audiobooks. And absolutely, it's a great way to do it, to have another person to collaborate with. It's a completely, it makes the creation of the art feel just completely different, for sure. So what's on the horizon for you? Now, what are you looking at in the next six months? Well, let's see. Um, next week, I have a book called The Psychology of Joss Whedon should be coming out. And that is uh, an exploration of Buffy, Angel, and Firefly through the lens of clinical psychologists and looking at the different characters and the way that they develop. It's pretty fascinating. Um, and then I'm going to be doing another smart pop book called James, James Bond in the 21st Century. And that will be uh, the final book in a string of books that I've been doing in their Smart Pop series, which analyzes James Bond. I'm going to be writing and recording another travelogue similar to the one that I did for San Diego Comic-Con. This one is going to be called, though, I Usually Cosplay as Myself, My Adventures at New York Comic-Con, which uh, was just last year. Um, also compiling an anthology of classic science fiction short stories. Uh, that one is hopefully going to be coming out, I'm hoping, in the second quarter. It's The Mad Scientist's Closet of Curated Chimeras, is what that one's called. Um, There's a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I also have another Bill, Bill Fitzhugh book that will be coming out uh, in this next year. I'm recording a, a collection of fairy tales from different cultures. And then I'm actually producing my own paranormal fantasy series called Dark Prairie and the Adventures of the Stay-at-Home Shaman. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, well, and one other one. I'm actually, um, I did a book called The Lazy Dungeon Master, which is like a self-help book for dungeon masters so that they can prepare less for their games and enjoy them more. And uh, the gentleman who wrote the book, Mike Shea, is actually going to be coming out with a new one. Uh, and hopefully that will be, I think, in the second quarter of the upcoming year. And we'd like to have it ready to go. I'm hoping by San Diego Comic-Con or at least next year, the following year's New York Comic-Con. 
So there you go. <laughs> nice. Very nice. Well, I, I, it's it's a damn shame you have so much downtime, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's It's always fun when we get together. I'm not sure how it was we originally got together, but... You know, we've become fairly interesting friends over the course of time. And uh, I really like what Last Word Audio does. And guys, uh, I don't know how you identify it when you're browsing through Audible and the rest of it. But you can certainly find it on their website, lastwordaudio.com. And uh, we'll have links to all of that in on the podcast uh, for you guys. Colby, thank you, my friend. It's been a lot of fun talking to you. It's been an absolute delight. I've, I've really enjoyed myself. Thanks to all of you. Hey, it was kind of our pleasure as well. Hey, Kriana, we got any time for news? Well, what it's, does this it's tell the you? News thing. <laughs> I guess we don't. So I wonder who's coming on in the next couple of weeks, Kriana. Me know? too. I haven't looked, have you? Oh, well. The world may never know. In that case, we'll just simply let you know. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Reddit Con, Northeast Comic Con, BooksandBooze.com, and ComicArthouse.com. It's Comic Art House for some of the best deals on original art and dozens of your favorite artists. You have three months to look at Sci-Fi Saturday Night's first anthology. Mike, and be sure and drop by and say hello to us if you're going to be in a minute. Our intro music production was provided by their stuff at Thanks so much to the gang. Thank you so much, ladies. And from the Rolling Hills and Green, thank you for all the fish and vacations. And Java for joining us. Adios, friends. Don't say Be good, everybody. I know.